Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You're uh, you're quite the uh, quite the traveler. Oh my gosh. I'm I'm uh, some might some might call me the. <laughs> I just turned into joker, familiar. a smoker. Uh... Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they might call me a gangster. Gangster of love. Gangster of love. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know I've been traveling, but but now I don't, I'm not traveling um, anymore. Ever uh, again? Like, well, no, until in, until we we all travel to uh, to the uh, International Association for Food Protection. Oh, or IAFP as it's known in uh, in the inside world. Huh? I've never heard of them. Tell me about them. I heard that they're one of the past presidents is a dick. <laughs> I'm not sure which one though. Um. Yeah, so so I've been I've been traveling. I want to talk about my travel. I've got that on my. It's on the big board here. I I just, I just want to say for the record, I am really glad that Yellowstone did not blow up while you were there because that oh would have really gosh. sucked. Although it probably would have been better for you and your family because you would have all been killed. Right, right. It would have been very yeah. <laughs> and well, that's probably the place you want to be when Yellowstone finally does blow. We were in the super volcano and. <laughs> And it's it's uh, it's known as a caldera for those in the uh, geology world. Uh, ge- this is geology safety talk. Uh, I did not fall into any of the uh, hot geyser painting pot things where people's bodies dissolve. So that was good. Good, good, good. Um, we did uh, sufficiently scare the children to not let go of our hands and fall off. Uh, these these boardwalks with hundreds of people on them, um, and then at, at one of the last stops that we had uh, on one of those boardwalks, there was a park ranger getting something like someone had dropped trash in it, and the kids were mortified, thinking that she was going to just get swept <laughs> up into the earth, based on all the like the extra fibs we had told them about people who would step off get swallowed getting swallowed up into the earth. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so that worked. I don't know why they can't clean their rooms, but I did. <laughs> I did sufficiently scare them to not not letting go of my hand. Uh, I guess we never really threatened death. Yeah, I was going to say if you threatened uh, if you threatened them with loss of life, if you don't if you don't clean your room, the room cleaning witch is going to come and she's going to kill you, kill you, and you'll and, and everyone you'll die dead. And yeah. yeah. And, well, and I, I I did turn into my father a few times on this on this trip. So so for the listeners, um, uh, I, I left. Uh, my family and I left um, on on a Thursday, and we flew to Salt Lake City, and then we drove Thursday afternoon from Salt Lake City to um, Sun Valley, Idaho, and and we spent some lovely time in Sun Valley, Idaho, um, and then we drove from Sun Valley, Idaho, to. Uh, Yellowstone, and then we drove back to Saint, uh, Salt Lake City, and then we flew from Salt Lake City to Omaha, Nebraska, and then we drove to Lincoln, Nebraska, and spent some time there talking about shigatoxin-producing uh, E. coli. And multiple times on this trip, because we spent a lot of time in the car, and my kids were 90, 80% of the time really good, um, 10% of the time uh, not not so good, and, and 10% of the time, like, just atrocious children. Um, multiple times I used the term, you were ruining my vacation. <laughs> and, Whoa. And, and I could sound, I sounded like my dad. <laughs> yeah. And they weren't really ruining my vacation, but I couldn't think of anything, like, uh, stronger, like, hey, guys, stop, stop doing that. Stop doing what you're doing. No one, don't kick my chair anymore. Sam, you're ruining my vacation. 
and then that like shocked him into place. I think. Yeah. Well, the, the kicking, the kicking of the seat of the car from the back seat is uh, that's just highly annoying. So oh, I, I appreciate that. So, so I'm curious. So on this trip, they were eighty ten ten. What is their normal behavior ratio? Uh, they're probably like um, seventy. 15, 15. <laughs> huh. So this, they were better than average, but they were, you, but you were on edge or you were on edge or you wanted them to be on their best behavior because it was your vacation that they would be right. ruining. Exactly. Got it. Got it. And, at, and at home I can, I, I mean, we, we, we can, um, uh, punish them or, or, uh, what's, what's the right word? Not punish, but, but we can, uh, uh you know, adjust their behavior. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's more, there's more controls. It's a more structured yeah. environment. You can't say I, go to your room because that would right. involve him flying across the country <laughs> to yes. his room, right? So, yeah. yeah. And there's no, like, time out. I can't, like, pull over and separate them. And, yeah, so. so well, no, all I, right. they, one of you's riding in the trunk. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and it might be me. One of, you, one of you's driving now, and I'm out of here. Uh, so yeah, there, I think, I think I was, there, there was less, uh, consequences that I could apply, which meant, um, I had to be, I, it was a little more on edge and I say me, I, it's both, uh, both Danny and I jointly, but uh, I mean, I mean, overall they, it, they were great. And I maybe was, maybe I'm even over overestimating at 10%. It was, it was uh, just a couple of times, most, most time, most of the time we were driving through, Utah or Montana or Wyoming with no um, no cell coverage, like no service at all, which isn't a problem, you know, when you're trying to avoid email, but it is a problem when you're streaming from Apple Music. And uh, I had about 17 songs downloaded on my phone, uh, which we listened to over and over again. And they include the classics uh, of uh, um, Jimmy Buffett, Margaritaville. Uh, and uh, Bob Marley, a Buffalo Soldier. So we probably listened to those two songs, uh, I would say, 20, 20 times each uh, over uh, a short, uh, uh, you know, eight-day period. Well, you know, while you're, since you mentioned that, I want to mention that I have recently, my life has gotten so much better because so I, I have not subscribed to Apple Music, but what I, what I, what I finally figured out how to do was to keep all of my music on my phone. And this, the solution is to turn off, um, iTunes in the cloud or whatever. Yeah. 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 And then, and then, and then make sure like do repeated syncs of your phone to make sure that all of your music gets over to your phone. And now I'm pretty sure that pretty much everything I own is on my phone and it fits there quite comfortably. And now I don't have to worry about the fact that if I want to listen to a song, it's not on my phone. So that, that makes me, um, that I, I, I yearn for that, Don. I long for, for that. I, I have made, um, I've made poor choices in, uh, <laughs> so have in, we all been, so have we all. And, and mine, I, I made a poor choice that I bought a 16 gigabyte phone and not, uh, yeah, I know. Don't, rookie don't. mistake. Oh my God. Rookie mistake. Rookie it, mistake. It, let me tell you, this is, uh, it was a negotiation tool. Uh, I'm getting a new phone. But don't worry, it's not that expensive. Uh, oh, and and so, uh, but uh, but we both both <laughs> of us have learned from this because uh, well, one uh, Bob Marley Buffalo Soldier twenty times. <laughs> hey, it's uh, a great song, man. Yeah, don't be disrespecting it is, it is. Bob Marley. 
I'm not. I'm not. And I and bet. I, he, I bet. I have that song on my phone right now. I bet you do. I bet you. I have it on my phone right now. Um, <laughs> and, and and part two of this, uh, or B, as as it's known. Yeah. Um. Uh, Danny also, uh, because she stores photos on her oh, phone. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Is has also run out of space. So we we constantly on this trip we're just deleting things. Mm-hmm. And I th- this never like this n- is not an issue for someone who has a much larger storage phone like yourself. Um, but I my like health app takes oh. up like 800 megabytes and I can't seem to delete it. And I think it's like every time I delete it, it's now syncing again from my watch. I don't I don't know how to manage it. I, I just need a new phone. Well, so I'm going to get, get again. I got a new one. And, well, and part of the part of the problem is um, uh, apps have. I was just reading an article. Apps have just gotten hugely big. But uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure I got a new phone too um, because I dropped my phone um, oh, and yeah. the screen wasn't working. And I took it to the Apple Store, and then they had everything fixed um, in less than in an hour, basically. Um, but they also managed to buff out all of the scratches <laughs> on the outside oh. of the phone. So I'm pretty sure they just gave me a new phone. A new, a um, brand new phone. But 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 of course, if you were to do the same thing, you would end up with the same crappy 16 gig phone that you that you dropped. Right, and but I couldn't go back to them and say, "Oh my gosh, somehow you fixed it," and and you took away 120 gigs of space. Yeah, no, they uh, they would know that. Uh, they, they would they would figure that out. They're pretty smart, those Apple people. Oh, I I need a new phone. I also need a new phone case. You, you, I think we well, have people this. told me I needed a new phone case when I dropped my phone and the screen stopped working. But, um, <laughs> do you have one of the I, Apple ones? I do. I do. It's, yeah. very, it's very nice. It's it's very uh, very it feels very nice. And it it ha- up until just the other day did an excellent job of protecting me from multiple uh, times of dropping my phone. So, well, and this is it's a it's a black silicon one, right? Uh, no, no, it is oh. it is a blue it's a blue leather case. Oh gosh, of course. Uh, I thought maybe I don't know why black. I thought you had a button. Maybe, maybe yeah. it's, it's it's but it's the leather case, not the silicon case. I, I do like the silicon cases. I had a silicon case for my uh, for my iPad. I like the silicon case. So I do too. But my little uh, I'm, I'm going to start using uh, the word dingus because I like it. I hear it on other podcasts. Um, the little dingus that I stick it into in my um, uh, in my in my car, like that that's mounted on my vent. Um, has peeled away oh. the the part that protects it when you drop it. Oh wow! On. So it's so I, I now have. Um, I would take a picture of it if I could. If you could. I wanted to send everyone immediately a picture of my phone with the screen not working, and then I realized I had I could take a picture of the screen, but it would not have the defects in it because because the defects were in the screen, not in the not in the in the picture. Right. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in fact, I just thought, oh, I'll take a picture of this, and then I went to find my phone, and then I was like, oh, it's in my hand because the picture I need to take is of the phone. Oh, and um, while we're while we're still on that subject, let me tell you one more humorous anecdote. I had just left my Apple Store at the phone to be repaired um, and I realized that I felt very vulnerable and naked because I didn't have my phone and I immediately wanted to post about that on social media but I couldn't because my phone was at the Apple store so anyway uh, it's funny the way our brains work and then you couldn't do that later because it really is out of context like exactly I naked without my phone but now I have it back right exactly uh, that's hilarious uh, yeah, so so my it's like peeled back. I've got to go buy another one. I also broke the. It, I think it's the dingus's problem. Like I broke it and and then this thing anyway. Uh, but I ordered another one on Amazon. But I can't get the silicon 
uh, for an iPhone six, which is I don't have the seven mm. on Amazon. Uh, Don, these are, these are as it's known on the internet, first world problems. And I'm yes, yes, right. Um, hey, so I moved. Remember, remember that? Did you? I, I remember you were moving. Well, I remember you were you were you guys were living in a hotel room or you spent a night in a hotel room and maybe right. you had you had just maybe the last time we recorded you had just moved into the new house. Did right. I get that right? Yes. Yeah. That, but then, but then you correct. went on vacation. We went on vacation. Which so your so kids we, ruined like ten percent of. <laughs> just temp yeah. Well they didn't ruin it the whole time, but yes. Um yeah, so last time we uh we spoke was a couple of days after I moved. And um now I'm talking about moving because we we have unpacked a lot of things, which is what you do when you move, and including food items and things that were in our dry storage or pantry. And so today I brought my lunch, um, and I'm on a I'm I'm back on um, uh, better eating habits because uh, I told you uh, in a text exchange why why I have to set my calorie burn to 900. It's because I eat like crap. Mm. And I'm uh, I, my goal is to not do that. So I find that when I plan my eating, both both the dinners that I'm going to make and my entire day, I, I'm I'm much more controlled over how like what I eat. So um, today I made uh, a a wrap uh, with some uh, chicken, uh, boneless, skinless chicken breast that had been slow cooked with. Uh, salsa that we like to make into tacos at home. And, and so I, I brought a wrap of, of that with some salsa on it. And then my uh, my side compartment on my, my lunch Tupperware is I like to fill it with two things. One, I like to, you can you can hear it a little bit of Foley here. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I like to fill it with uh, um, uh, lightly salted dry roasted almonds because mm. almonds almonds are they're uh, heart healthy uh, products and also and the, also safe if they come from California exactly and the our our good friend the almond queen would would love that I I'm bringing those um, and then uh, the second compartment I like to fill with um, dried cranberries that are unsweetened mm. those are my two those are the things I like uh, so I like to munch on them and mm. and to, so today. I have an empty compartment, and that sounds like this. <laughs> Good, nice foley. <laughs> yeah, because there's nothing in it. And then I have an almond compartment. And Don, it's it's three it's three o'clock on the East Coast. Um, and why is my almond compartment full still? Because the almonds I have in there might be from like 15 years ago. Uh. The rancidity oh, level no. of them is it, it's incredibly high. Oh no. I, and and I tried to power through it. No, tried, no. And you can't. You can't. It, it's, you can't. The ox, oxidation has has occurred. So this is uh, just you know food safety, food spoilage uh, talk here. Um, it, things that had been in our in our pantry instead of, and, and this this I blame on you know, just being overwhelmed packing instead of actually going through them and being like you know what we probably don't need those anymore. We just moved everything. And then now we're dealing with the fallout yeah. because first in, first out didn't occur. And yep. now it is, for, you know, last in, first out uh, or, or first whatever it is. Um, first in, last out I think is what first, you're thinking of. I've, yeah, who, who knows? I'm, <laughs> I, all I know is I have highly oxidized almonds and I can't eat them. Yeah, well, and that's that's good. Uh, don't eat them because uh, who wants to eat that, right? So No one wants but, to eat But you're hungry. I'm, I'm a little bit hungry. But I'm uh, – <laughs> I'm supplementing with uh, some seltzer, some oh. – I, I know it's sparkling water. It's not seltzer. Uh, a little 
LaCroix. LaCroix? Oh, LaCroix. Like, yeah. Yeah. Is that is, – and what flavor? Uh, Pomplamousse. Ugh. See, you know, I really feel like I, I need to – like so we have – we've talked about this before. I yeah. have SodaStream. It's great. I had some at lunch today. Um, I don't make the flavored kind because I'm basically lazy. Um, but I hear people talking about all these amazing LaCroix La flavors and uh, I'm just very jealous. So I, I love the Pomplamousse. <laughs> it is uh, – it's my favorite. I One of my colleagues uh, – um, Carolyn Dunn, I was just in her office, uh, and she, she's got some coconut and I thought, oh, that's another that one might... that I really want to try. Yeah. Yeah. Like a pina colada. Like, yeah. um, if you like, if you like pina coladas, come, come to my <laughs> office. That's, that's a different song. I, I do uh, have, I do have to say there is a soda. I should, maybe I should go, I should go get this. There's a soda stream, um, uh, pomplamousse diet, pomplamousse flavor, um, which is Disgustingly colored, but is really tasty. And uh, we were—I was making a lot of that when we first got the Soda Stream, and it was still novel. But uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, there. I, I made a choice. I, I feel like the the grapefruit has the um, strongest flavor of the ones I've tried, and I like that. Like I want—I want a hint. I want a, more than just a hint. Like I, it smells very grapefruity, and it also has a, a flavor. But the lime, there's an orange. Um, there's, uh, uh, gosh, another weird, uh, um, apricot. Um, and, and they all smell much better than they taste compared to the, <laughs> uh-huh. it's, it's the esters, John, John, Don, it's John, it's John and Esther. Yes. Um, so yeah, I got, uh, I'm filling up on, uh, La Croix. Do you now, would you, I, I, this is going to be, uh, me being Canadian for a minute, <laughs> Would you call this LaCroix if you weren't talking to me? Like, does anybody else call it LaCroix or well, is it just LaCroix? Well, you have to understand, like, I took, I took years and years of junior high school French, and so I, I, will, I will try to use a correct French pronunciation, I think is how yeah. you say it. Yeah, uh, yeah I would like to, I, I try to use the French pronunciation um, whenever possible um, just because I feel it's not correct if I don't. Oh, well, but... If you went to, let's say, Wegmans mm. and, and you order, you said, oh, could you, I'm looking for the sparkling water section. And, and they say, oh, I don't, I don't know if we have that. And you would say, oh, you might know this, recognize this brand, La Croix. <laughs> would the person <laughs> at Wegmans who you asked say, I still don't know what you're talking about, sir? Or would they say, I think you mean the LaCroix? Or would they answer to you in French. I mean, there are, there are some multiple... Sacre bleu! I challenge you to a duel! Tabernacle! La Croix, La Croix! Well, I, so what I would do is I would, I would assess the situation in the moment, and I would decide... Is this a Lacroix person or is this a Lacroix person? And I, w- I would use the appropriate vernacular to the person based on me judging them as to their status. <laughs> Amazing! Amazing! See, I that's uh, that's a good that's a good answer. Um, I think I would just ask for Lacroix. <laughs> uh, water, please. Uh, yeah. So, so I. I don't think we've talked about this. Please stop me if we have. Mm. I've talked to somebody recently about this, but um, I, I know I, I say some some words that with a Canadian accent. Mm. Uh, there are certain words that I don't, I can't hear it. Mm. And out is one of them, and house yep. is the other yep. one, right? Like, and and so the, it, it, there's a 
a very specific tell, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that it sounds very different. But then when you say out, it sounds like that's what I said. Right. And and it's not, uh, obviously, or people wouldn't laugh about it. <laughs> now, here's one that that has popped up in my in my house um, that my southern son says mm. uh, that I do not. So, so Don, and I, please, did we talk about borrow and borrow? I have not talked with you about this, no. Okay. So I say oh, I'd like to borrow that. Mm-hmm. My son, Sam, who was born in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, <laughs> he likes to report to people, mm-hmm. said, you didn't say that right. Mm-hmm. And I said, what didn't I say right? And he said, borrow. And I was like, borrow? Do you mean borrow? And then he couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> yeah. And, and now we are the, the, we are the foreign-born parents, yep. like my friends growing up. Whose parents came from England yep. or India? Yep. Yep. And who who talk weird and their kids yep. make fun of them? That's me. Yep. Yep. No, I I understand, and it's uh, yeah, you know, and I guess I was so my my older son was born in Georgia, but he moved here very young, and uh, and so basically they both spent their entire lives in New Jersey, to uh, with a mother from Georgia and a father from um, upstate New York, and I think they they don't have a really pronounced um new jersey accent um and and actually and Kristen also uh grew up you know born in in new york born in brooklyn and, and and grew up in new jersey but went to broadcast school and has for the most part for and we and we and she this is often a topic of conversation between her and i as to how people in new jersey talk and how we hate it um and and to a certain extent there are certain words that she says that that does have a bit of a a, a new york um, accent or a New Jersey accent, but but not um, not a dramatic one. But but and and again, and why the one, the main one is is just the just like yeah, like just just the, <laughs> yeah. I was like a, yeah, you got yeah. yeah I got yeah I got that um you know that that kind of a thing. And so uh, we do work to to not be too joisy, as they say. But uh, yeah, but you know what, <laughs> what accent is fascinating to me, and I hear it a lot more now. Um, well, having having watched The Wire, and 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 learning that Baltimore accent, yeah. but it's also it's also a Philadelphia and even a South Jersey accent, and it, and there 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 are differences between uh, Baltimore, South Jersey, and 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 Philadelphia, but they're but they're of a type together, and uh, and now I can really hear that accent, and there are I have some colleagues at Rutgers that definitely have that accent, and occasionally I run into people that's like oh I recognize that accent, and it just it's like a it's a ni- it's a kind of a nice feeling because it makes me think of uh, all the episodes of The Wire and how amazing they are. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, uh, I. I, I didn't really realize that there was a Philadelphia accent until I uh, started working with John Lachansky. Oh yeah, and, and, and it's and it's I couldn't I couldn't place it. I was like, it's from the East Coast. It's not New York. Mm-hmm. I know I know we're in Philadelphia, but does Philadelphia has have its own accent? Oh yeah. And then I went to visit them, and and everybody has that accent. And I was like, it does have its own accent. Yeah. Yep. And, and then Jimmy Fallon uh, did a whole bunch of Philadelphia accents on. Uh, uh, on Saturday Night Live with Tina Fey. Yeah, we talked about that. In fact, I think yeah. we might have been linked to it. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So, but I was. Yeah, it's it's funny you bring it up because I never really thought about it. Um. So, uh, yeah. So we got I got some rancid almonds here. 
Um, I talk, uh, so I want to, I want to, want to talk about what I did on my trip before we, before we leave rancid almonds. I had, uh, I had some tuna fish for lunch and I opened up the pack and I was scraping it out on some crackers and it smelled kind of, it didn't quite smell right to me. I I showed it to Kristen. I said, smell this. Does it smell okay to you? She smells, she makes a face. She says, it smells like tuna. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, all right. I'll, I'm, I probably won't get botulism. I'll go ahead and eat it. Yeah, so right, right, right. It just, yeah, it just sure. tastes like tuna, which she was not in favor of. So anyway, tell me, tell me about your trip, and we should, uh, we should, uh, then we should talk about food safety. We should talk about. Well, my trip's about food safety, though. Oh, okay, awesome. So, so um, oh, I forgot the card. I met, um, I, I met a uh, a listener, and I think his name is John. Hmm. Um, and we, uh, so, so I, I was at, uh, this, this meeting, uh, mentioned in the last, uh, episode is the intermountain, uh, chapter mm-hmm. of IFT. And you had gone to the, um, to this meeting year prior to, uh, you know, last year. And, uh, it's at a wonderful resort in mm-hmm. Sun Valley, Idaho, and they've held it there for like 30 years or 50 years or something. Um, and in the um, the meeting was was really great. There was you know a couple hundred people there, and then they uh, um, I took my kids to their first trade show, uh, IFT Supplier Night, where they walked around this trade show and and probably got fifty pens and twenty stress balls, and and tasted a bunch of very odd flavored things like pork belly chocolate, um, and and enjoyed it. They thought that was the greatest. Um, greatest thing ever. Um, so, but, uh, while I was walking around the, and there was, there were drinks and, and, you know, so Danny was there and we, she had some wine and there's some great food. And, and, and as we walked around, um, you know, I, I talked to some, some people and, and this, uh, um, this guy came up, uh, and, and I really hope his name is John. Um, and, and just had really heartfelt words about, um, listening to us on, uh, on his commute to work and how much he enjoyed everything. And, and, and that, um, we, the, the two of us have given him uh, a different outlook on some food safety things, just the, the way that we, um, focus on different things and you on assessment, me on communication man or, and both of us on management. And, and just, he's like, you know, I, I was in the world of food safety before, and I'm going to paraphrase him here, but I was in the world of food safety for before for, for quite some time. And, I've just listened to the podcast. I have a different outlook on where food safety is in in the world, and and you guys give me a different perspective. And I I would just felt like felt like hugging him. Uh, oh, and I, it was it was very very nice. Uh, uh, and it's it's always it's always fun meeting listeners. And and I think I I don't know if you've shared this um, same feeling before. You know, I think maybe two or three years ago when we went to IAFP, it was the first time that I had gone somewhere where someone came up to me and said, Hey, you don't know me, but I listened to the show. Oh, nice. And I, yeah, it was nice. And, but I really, I had, I didn't know how to, how to act like respond to that. And, and it's funny because I had, you know, uh, like people, you know, you write stuff on barf blog or publish papers, be like, Oh, or someone sees you talking you're like, Hey, you don't know me, but I, I saw this or I read this. It was different from the podcast because, um, I, they're, they're like I, I feel like we have a, a different type, type of connection with the listeners because they actually hear our voices and and that's what that's what what John said was I, I feel like I'm just listening to guys sit at a bar talk about food safety 
and and it makes me passionate about you know that conversation. Well, and and, and I, yeah, and I absolutely, and I would say, and I think I think Merlin uh, and Dan have talked about this on Back to Work, but the and and I I definitely agree, and it goes right in line with what you're saying. The 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 the, at, the there is something very intimate about listening to someone have a conversation or, or, or there, there is a connection that is there that you don't get maybe from hearing a talk or, or, or seeing or reading a paper, right? It's every couple of weeks, the same people, the same voices. And you really, I think, I think Dan said this, you really feel, cause he, this was something he experienced as a kid listening to, he listened to a, talk, a lot of talk radio. You really feel like, you know, that person, but yet then it's very weird when you go to meet that person because you have a very intimate uh, uh, connection to that person, but they don't reciprocate that because obviously they're the ones doing the, the, the show or the podcast right. or whatever. But, but I, but, but the great thing is being a, not only a podcast maker, but a podcast listener, I totally get, like, I don't get it for this show because I'm on this show, but right, I, get, right, I, yeah. I can, I can translate that feeling to my relationship to, to Merlin or to Dan or to, to John Roderick or whomever, right? Or even, or, and actually I've never met John Roderick, but, but to, uh, to pe- other people on, on shows that I listen to. And so it's a very, it really is something um, very unique and very different. So it, yeah, and it's it, I, it's very um, I I don't know. Like, I, I I spend a lot of time driving and reflecting on things. That's sometimes that's what vacation's all about, where you kind of step back and and I um, shut that day to day mundane stuff off, and then you think about things. And I, I thought about the podcast, and I thought about um, just you know what what we do in in food safety and what I do, and and and, and there. We we've created something here that is that's different that wasn't out there before, and there's like this community of people that that are podcast listeners that that also like food safety that might not be blog readers, and 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 so so just meeting those those people and and just hearing about how they listen and what they get out of it it's very heartening like it's very it's. Um, and so the, like the, the first time that it happened, I was like, oh, it's, it's weird. I, it's, it's different, um, than, you know, someone reading your stuff, uh, because people like bring up conversations that we had, you know, eight months ago that I don't, I mean, I don't even remember what we talked about last time. <laughs> I, have to, yeah. I have to look at the show notes exactly. some, to make sure that I'm like, oh, did we already talk about this? Um, and, and, but what, whatever it was, that conversation was vivid enough that they, um, you know, that they remembered it. Um, and so, so anyway, it's, I'm, I'm, I, 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 it was an uncomfortable thing before, at least initially. And now I'm, I'm like, oh no, it's, it's just really like, I, I want to, I want to connect with those people, um, in a, in a, in a a different way and a not, in a not creepy way. Uh, yeah, well, and speaking of, of listeners, I want I shared with you I shared this with you um, via text message. But I also met a listener uh, this week, um, uh, and it's somebody that I know in real life, but that I didn't realize listened to the show. And so we'll call him Dave. Uh, but and so I know Dave, and I know Dave from real life. But you don't know Dave. Um, but Dave said uh, that you uh, he listens to the podcast and he really likes the sound of your voice because you sound like Seth Rogen. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Well, I will um, try <laughs> not. And in fact, I tried to talk more like Seth Rogen yesterday after you told me that. <laughs> I'm not, that go? To do that. not at all. Not well at all. 
Um, and I will not like, I'm not, I'm just going to try. I'm just going to own my own voice. There you go. Uh, but, but I appreciate like, that's a, that's a compliment. Cause I think Seth Rogen has a really funny voice. Um, and he's just a funny guy. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's really cool. Well, so I, a shout out as we're talking to about listeners who, um, who we know in real life, who are not maybe food safety people who listen to the show or don't listen, didn't, I, one of my, um, my oldest closest friend um who was uh we w- when we were 10 years old we lived four doors away from each other and uh went to high school together and um then when he he went to university of guelph at the same time i did and he went on to become a pharmacist he uh listens to the podcast when he's uh doing his pharmacy things and so we don't – he and I, we text back and forth uh, every once in a while. We don't talk a lot. But he, he told me in one of these text exchanges, he's like, oh, I feel like I, I'm all caught up on your life because I listen to the podcast <laughs> yeah. and I really enjoy it. Yeah. Which is really which is really cool too. And I wish he had a podcast about <laughs> pharmacy, pharmacy talk. Yes. Yeah, pharmacy talk. So I could also listen and, and catch up uh, on it. So anyway, shout out to my friend Brendan uh, on that. And I hope to see – he's going to be – um, close to us in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, uh, later in July. So I'm I'm going to see him then. But nice. but anyway, it's it's kind of it's it's funny when people from non food safety parts of your life are like, hey, I listen to that thing. It's pretty. It's entertaining. Or the other guy should talk more. Or the other guy talk, sounds like <laughs> Seth Rogen. Yeah. Or you need you need uh, better show notes. Oh, the best one, uh, which which I have to say, you know, I really appreciate was you should you should have that basically chapter markers, right? You should you should have the time points when you talk about a certain thing so that we can just skip to the part that we want, which is a great idea. Um, but as I explained uh, to this person, um, we have no budget for this show. We don't make any money. It costs us money to do it. Um, and we're not going to do that. But it's a great idea. <clears throat> Yeah, right, right. And it's, and, and what we will be able to do, uh, you sent me a, a link or tweeted at me earlier, um, uh, well, I guess last week sometime, that uh, soon Apple is going to give us analytics through uh, yes. the iTunes store where we can see where people listen. Uh, or or hear where they listen or whatever. We'll be able to visualize. We'll yes. get some some data on did they skip forward? Are they listening to it on three times the speed? What, did they make it through the entire episode? Did they fast forward through the first you know twenty seven minutes or thirty four minutes uh, to get to the food safety and all that kind of stuff? Right. And um, and and this. <clears throat> Indeed, this should be very interesting. Uh, I have to say, though, it will only be analytics for people that listen through the Apple Podcast app. And so if people listen through another app, we won't get those analytics um, unless somehow the developer of those apps also come on board and, and provide that. So, But, but it's, it's fine. I mean, it'll be interesting. It'll be useful. Um, I, I welcome the fact that Apple is, is giving attention to podcasting and to the podcast app. So, Yes, yeah. And uh, I I think uh, we'll get some insights. <laughs> also, also if we, I if we look at them, right? If we look at them, we will because we're. I mean, I I, I think uh, it just like I like I like to see I like to watch my menchies go up. Um, I like to know what people are uh, doing on the stuff that we that we make. Indeed. Uh, are you wearing your friend of the pod shirt today? Not today. Wearing- today, today I had to go into the office, and so um, I wore. I'm wearing a white t-shirt with a uh, short sleeve uh, sh- shirt over it. So no, oh, I I wore when I just I just wore my friend of the pod shirt recently, <laughs> but I don't remember when. 
But uh, anyway, I, maybe I wore it. I think I wore it on Sunday for my trip down to Atlanta. I think that's what I was wearing. Awesome. I want you. I you need to take a picture wearing your front of the pod shirt Ugh. and send it to me because I I need to know before you destroy it. I need to know that <laughs> that it it was used. <laughs> oh, it's been used. Oh, it's the best <sighs> front of the pod. Uh. I, um and and. Oh, so this is so. Th- th- just to bring it back to my to my trip, um, that's how John introduced himself. As I'm walking around, pod, he looks oh. at me and he goes, "I'm a friend of the pod," uh, and I laugh so hard uh-huh. because I'm like, "You really are." If you're if you say you're a friend of the pod, you are a friend of the pod. Oh, so so good. Oh, Don, let's talk food safety. I'm back. I I, I have enjoyed. My my day of food safety. I'm doing a couple of things right now. Mm. Um, I'm writing a proposal, uh, and and I caught up on a, on some questions, and then I had a couple of things roll in today. And I was sitting here in my office, and I don't often think this because I, I think I've shared with you that I have um, sometimes a mental block on doing work in in this office. Mm. Um, today, I, I I just sat here and I was like, I'm I'm very happy to be back in this office element doing food safety things hmm. and and I, I that, that made me think you know I, I, maybe i'll stick I'll, I'll stick with this job maybe i won't be a barista <laughs> but this there is this is a segue uh-huh so and not not a scooter um this and not something that you would take a tour on of uh you know downtown indianapolis i i received a message today that i want that I, I i added into the podcast uh Oh, maybe I'm not even. Am I sinking? Yeah, I'm sinking. Um, uh, added into the uh, podcast uh, notes from uh, a student here at NC State, and and um, uh, the student doesn't know that I'm going to talk about this question, so I'll keep this anonymous. Uh, but um, someone asked a question that I want to talk to you about. Sure. And the question is this. Um. Uh, hello, Doctor Chapman. <laughs> Hope. Hope you are doing good. Uh, anyway, uh, there are studies showing an increase in the number of artisan cheese production over the past four decades. Now, I want to say that since there's tremendous growth in the number of these facilities, the risk of foodborne illness has also increased, but there's no specific data to support this fact. So, is there an equation or a method to do a risk assessment to support this hypothesis? Any pointer will be appreciated. And and I, my my answer to this was and, and this this um and the students doing um some some research into um educational programs and development of intervention materials for um our artisanal cheese makers and uh, so I, I have the I know the background anyway um my my answer was. Yeah, I mean, you you could do that, but running a risk assessment is is much larger than than an equation or or an algorithm, um, it, and you have to have data. Um, so it's you know you got to start with that. Um, and so I you know I, I gave her some uh, some insights onto quantitative risk assessment and uh, sent her a, a paper that you and Michelle um, published on cut leafy greens and. Then another um, paper that was uh, in where was it? Let me find it here. Do 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 um, on almonds uh, that just uh, ironically uh, that uh, some folks at Sisan did, and um, 
and, and sort of said, here, look, you, as you can see, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in a risk assessment. You need, you need to have data to make, you know, and, and if, to to make the model to do the assessment and then you need to understand quite a bit about what the process is and so then i also sent another paper on um cheese and uh and uh, assessment on listeria in uh cheese making um that had and this is we'll link to this uh paper in uh show notes this is uh from risk analysis uh, earlier this year, uh, risk assessment of human listeriosis from semi-soft cheeses made from raw sheep's milk in Lazio and Tuscany, Italy, from uh, Roberto Condolio. And I highlighted this paper because it's got one of, I think, one of the nicest um, visuals on all of the processes that are involved in um it, where risk can be introduced or managed in 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 cheese production, and there's you know like milking and milk collection, farm tank storage, um, and you know looking at those things, can we get some environmental samples and something off the cows and like a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, just to demonstrate the complexity of it. But so I said, here's how you do not here's how you do quantitative risk assessment, but here's some examples, and this is what it's kind of complex, kind of complicated. And then I said. Hey, there are also qualitative risk assessments, and then I included a qualitative risk assessment um, as well. But I said, yeah, I have concerns about their utility in making a risk management decision, but it might be a good start. But the heart of the question isn't really – like there are sort of two questions here. Um, one is can I do a risk assessment, And but the question is – I want to say that there's tremendous growth in the number of facilities, and that has increased the risk of foodborne illness. And I kind of challenged her on this and said, "Is there really an increased risk? How do how do we know? Like that's that's the you want to say that, but if we don't have data to support it, how what you know what kind of data would be useful to maybe justify that that statement in the absence of uh, a risk assessment? So that's what I yeah sort of sent back to her. Yeah, and and so a couple of couple of comments. Um, <clears throat> first of all, if you're going to send a professor an email, you should spell check everything, um, <laughs> so you don't see say things like tremendous growth because it makes you look kind of um, you know doesn't present you in the best light. Um, and then uh, there there is so so two two problems with this sentence fragment. There is no specific data to support. This fact. First of all, there are no specific data. Not there is no specific data. So again, I'm going to be pedantic. Um, and then also, you you don't you don't. I mean, saying something is a fact doesn't make it a fact. So right. I mean, and again, I'm, I, I don't mean to go off on this person because um, I don't I don't know them. And obviously, they're well intentioned, and you know, we shouldn't be rude to people. Um, but but th- there's so they should you know they should listen to the podcast, Ben. Well, yes, yes, but um, I figured that this is you know there might be other people that have this type of question. Well, right? and, and, yes, and it's and, well, and I have to say, actually, this came up just yesterday. So I was at a meeting. I can't. I don't want to talk too much about it because I, I don't. It's not a. Um, anyway, it's, it's a consulting project that's in development. Um, I haven't signed any non disclosures, but I, but it would I would be I don't want to talk out of school. So yeah. Um, uh, so what I would say is that people often will use the phrase risk assessment 
when they mean something else, right? Like to me, risk assessment means a very specific thing. It typically means quantitative risk assessment, but in this particular context, um, we were talking about uh, microbiological quality and safety of raw materials and uh, doing a survey to ascertain the microbiological safety and quality of all the raw materials going into making this particular category of foods. And the person said, well, after we get all this data, and we finish that risk assessment, and I'm like, hold on. That's Whoa. not a risk assessment, right? Yeah. That's the input to the risk assessment, but it's not the but – then, but I also at the same time said, well, but I understand why you would say that because, again, very often I've had people come to me and say, oh, um, I, I, would, I would like you to do a risk assessment, and what they really mean is I want you to help me with this problem, but – you know, it, and what they what they think is a risk assessment is not what I think is a risk assessment. And so, when I tell them what's involved, they're they they're either confused or they don't really understand. So, yeah. Well, and and that was I mean that was part of the reason why I answered the question the way I did by sending here are examples yeah, of risk. Yeah, assessment. Here, here's here's what a risk assessment is. Now, think about your yeah. question. Right. 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 And I think you're not asking what you're what you're looking for. Right. But but there is there is like a a discussion piece in this right for for us because just and this is what I what I threw back to the student was just because we have more of a certain type of facility that we might think is riskier and I, I put that in in Richard Fingers mm-hmm. right because whatever whatever that means like risk of of what. Um, is it does having more of them really mean that in the absence of 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 data right like like we we might think that they're just because that that sector's grown um they there may be a increased public health risk but i challenge that i'm not i'm not entirely sure and and so some of the things that i highlighted are um you know are there increased outbreaks or recalls compared to the non-artisanal makers? Like that would be a starting point if you could look. And then how are you going to define those different types of cheesemakers? Is it on certain types of cheese? Like do we need to look at all artisanal cheeses? Are they all the same? Are the, Is raw milk different than not raw milk, hard versus soft? Like, I mean there are a lot of uh, underlying questions here that gets to that. Um, and, and I think what the student was looking for is like, hey, I'm writing my lit review and someone's questioning where I said there are more of these sites. So it's a, the public said increased risk. And I'm kind of saying, yeah, I'm questioning that sentence, too. Like, I, I don't know if we can just say that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and yeah, it's like it's like, again, you, you're 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 <laughs> you're. You're not even asking the right question, right? It's like I see the question that you're asking, yeah. uh, and I th- I think I see what you want to ask, but you're not even asking the right question. Um, and in fact, uh, they are asking a question on risk assessment of fodborne illness. <laughs> right. Right. Fod. Yeah. Because because illness. they should learn to spell check. I'm sorry. I'm just well, I'm being a jerk, but there's there's something to that. Um, yeah. So that 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 coupled with um, a, a, another another thing that I saw this week that I uh, that I tweeted about um, that is not in uh, in our show notes, but it, you know our, this conversation made me think of it mm-hmm. is uh, some folks in um, where is it in Australia 
say we, I guess the Australians, the Aussies as they're known, have the highest level of food safety programs in the world. What, huh. What does that what does that mean to you, Don? It means um, that they have a very high number of programs for doing food safety. Highest um, levels. Highest All levels. Highest, highest levels. levels. It doesn't it doesn't say anything about safety. It doesn't say whether the programs are effective. Um, they could have they could have literally the worst food safety in the world, but have a whole lot of programs. But they're just the wrong programs. So I don't I don't think that's a thing to brag about. Yeah, but that's you know these are these are some government folks again, right? Well, and I and 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 not not government regulators because we some some of my best friends are regulators, Don. Um, but uh, these are these are things like uh, I believe they're known in Australia as uh, back crossbenchers, back backbencher crossbenchers, not 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 in the uh, weightlifter side of things, but these these are the people the elected people that run the government. So anyway, that's those are the folks that are saying Australia might have the safest food in the world, but maybe just the safest number or highest number of food safety programs in the world. It's, yeah, I don't think that's a thing to brag about. Yeah. But they have the highest level of worker safety and animal welfare. Well, highest- that's that sounds like a testable hypothesis, but again, I would I would ask the question, how do you how do you know like the problem is like you know, and again, we've talked about this before, um, the the states that have the lowest reported incidence of foodborne disease in the United States are the states with the fewest number of foodborne disease epidemiologists, right? And so the solution to food safety is to fire all the epidemiologists. So how do you know um, that you have the best worker safety program in the world because you've got to do a side-by-side comparison? And what if you don't have reporting structures that encourage people to report problems? How do you define a problem? Do you treat a severed limb or a death the same as you trait a scratch. I mean, so there's all sorts of problems with making the statement, right? Um, so I would be, again, I would be skeptical. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, and and maybe this is another. Maybe maybe the theme of today is maybe you're asking the wrong question or answering the wrong question. Like, does it does it really matter if if you have you know? your your system was the safest in the world right like it what are we are we really asking the the right question or is the question do we have um do we protect our public the the best or do we have less outbreaks than some other uh, group because there are all these assumptions of that that we start with the same amount of of risk that are you know that everyone starts at the same uh, at the same level and by asking that question or saying hey yeah we have the safest food supply no one's going to argue with that it's because it doesn't I mean it really doesn't matter and you can't measure it well and what if you what if you had a culture of like really uh, uh, extreme cooking practices um, but your meat supply was on a uh, uh, prevalence and contamination basis was twice as contaminated, right, as another country, right. um, which had a historically poor cooking practices. Um, you know, how could you how could you even make a statement or make a comparison, right? There's just too many. Uh, there's just too many. I mean, the, you, the, the question is not even well a well formed question. It's like, what are you comparing? What what's the numerator? What's the denominator? What are the measurement tools? I mean, anyway, we're we're academics. We get paid for making things complicated, but but I think that there's something to like. Let's 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 just let let's like slow your roll. Let's 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 examine the question that you're asking <laughs> before right, we right. even try to answer it. Okay, because it's probably not even the right question. 
Well, and what are you going to do with that? Well, right. Why? Why are you? Why are you making this claim that you have the safest food systems in the world, or that you have the most food safety programs in the world? Why are you even making that claim? What's the purpose of of that? Right? Is, yeah. is that going to help you uh, get more money? Is that going to help you uh, improve food safety for your constituents? Uh, what, are you going to help you get reelected? I mean, what's the? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, and and I think that there's. Um, uh, a situation um, where it's not about having the safest or safe, but there's equivalency. So, so FDA has, um, has you know, and USDA have, have, have both done this, looking at different countries' systems as equivalent to the U.S. for import-export reasons, right, for getting um, – safe supplies into the u.s system so canada was recognized as having a comparable system to the u.s i think new zealand is as well um when it comes to fda so that i get but you know it if the if canada's was the safest food in the world and new zealand's is third and the u.s is second you know does any of that matter i, I don't know yeah Hey, so while we're while we're discussing um, email from people who may or may not be listeners, listeners, uh, I wanna I wanna discuss an email that we got this week, um, which I I kind of I kind of replied to the person and said, "Here's my answers to your questions." And oh, by the way, we're going to talk about this on the podcast, <laughs> but don't worry, we'll keep it confidential. And I'm I'm not sure this person will ever email me again um, because that was <laughs> I, in retrospect that was kind of a a, a a very crass thing to do. But but I do want to and. So we, we're not going to reveal the name of the person no. uh, or the location or the location, but let's call him Mac. Okay. Yep. Um, and, and then let's not, let's, and, which is not his real name, but, right. but we'll call him Mac as in like Mac the knife. Um, because maybe he's, uh, he's a gangster. Um, he's, yeah. He's uh, in the forties. In the forties. Right. <laughs> he's a forties gangster. Um, yeah. but he emailed us some really good questions, um, that I want to get your take on. Cause I did not really have any good answers. So, so, uh, so this person is working with a local public health department and they, and the health department wants to update their inspections um, and, and their practices. And so he has a number of very, actually well, very well formulated, very well thought out questions. Um, how, so let's assume that they want to like use the most recent version of the food code. They know that there are uh, foodborne disease risk factors. They know that there are best retail practices and they want to move their restaurant inspection platform to reflect all of that. Okay. Right. Now, um, they already are, are in good shape because they're using, um, essentially what sounds like scores on doors, right? They're, they're using, uh, red, yellow, green. Um, and so how, if you have new risk factors, how would you adopt those or adapt those to a red, yellow, green warning system? Um, the the threshold is a fairly num a fairly arbitrary number of demerits right now. Um, what do Ben? What do you think the public want? And 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 there's a this is a multiple part question, but that's just yeah. the first part. And so let's deal with that first. So how would you if somebody came to you and dropped this um, in your lap? What would you do to try to answer the question? So I think I would say, up until now, we've had this standard. These are the things that we've looked for in inspections, and it's based on 
um, because of uh, the regulatory process, um, not the most up to date uh, science. And and we've we have been listening to the public, and we have been looking at. Um, what people are doing when it comes to food safety, and we've we've t- taken a turn to focus on the risks, not not just like not just the things that we think were a uh, problem or that that are um, not um, that are yuck factor things like cockroaches. Now we are only looking at the things that are, or we are valuing the things that are going to make someone sick uh, more than we were in the past, and so we need to communicate that to you by sort of demonstrating here's what a yellow green would have been before. And again, to Max point, this is an arbitrary threshold that we decided based on what, however we decided it. Um, and then now we are moving to this system where a green before might be a yellow now or a yellow before might be green now, like without knowing the particulars, but to put the two things side by side, and then to circle and highlight, here are the important things when it comes to um, uh, you know, risk-based in- inspections. And why we're changing it is because we want you to have a better um, – uh, uh, make better decisions that are based on risk, not, not on um, you know, uh, preference or you know, theoretical um, things. And so I don't know what the public expects – um, I do know, uh, and I, I put a link to a paper that um, that Doug wrote um, with uh, Katie Fillion, who is uh, one of his graduate students, who who um, I knew from the University of Guelph. She worked for me um, when I was doing my PhD, um, where she sort of answered a que- this question of what does the public expect in a dis- in a disclosure system uh, by providing a couple of different. Um, uh, types of disclosures, like a, a letter grade and a green red, and and did a bunch of interviews both with um, the with with the public and with um, with operators and, and managers, and so um, what what they what, what the public sort of wanted was uh, they liked letters better than. Um, than the colors hmm. and, and that it was, it was clear at least to the New Zealand audience. Um, and you don't, you know how those Kiwis are. Um, and, but, but that, that, that meant more than, than just a color because an, an A is less arbitrary than a green yep. essentially. Yeah. Right. Like, um, well, so, and, and, and great and letter grades would give you a finer gradation. You have A, B, C, D, and F, whereas colors, you're going to go red, yellow, green, right? So, right. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so for, for the first one, I'm not like, it's a max question. I'm not exactly sure what the public expects, though. Like, uh, I, I, I think from um, extrapolating what we see in, um, in the world of risk communication in general, and especially when it comes to regulatory work, uh, the public responds well to openness and transparency. And if it's, uh, if the inspections are carried out with, um, 
public dollars as as these are and, and it's it's the uh, you know official business of the government that do these inspections that they are allowed to see what's happening and and make their decisions on it um so i think there's an expectation to um to not just understand the process but also to understand how how the decisions are made and, and and sort of look at what what the difference between these um these grades or colors are um and and unfortunately for mac there's not there's really not a whole lot of good there's not a lot of good data on this um it's just not something that was well researched i, I know maybe uh, gosh um before i moved to north carolina i had a conversation with um a council chairs from CFP about putting together a um, then I think it was NIFSI grant uh, to look at this uh, at this question that that didn't get funded. Um, but it's uh, yeah I don't I mean I don't I don't know I don't know what exactly what what uh, people are looking for. Yeah, and I, thanks for sharing the link uh, to the uh, the paper by. Uh, Phil and Powell will link to the will link to the um, PubMed uh, abstract on that. Um, it's published in Journal of Food Protection, so if you're a subscriber, you can you can get that. But yeah, it's it's you really the the question is what do people want is is a is a tricky one. Um, but I mean, Mac is absolutely right that the, it is an arbitrary system. I guess what I would like to see in designing that system is it's arbitrary, but let's periodically revisit it and recalibrate it and. I'm real interested in figuring out like how how do you evaluate different risk factors, right? So is a uh, is a uh, cleaning rag put in the wrong place the same demerit as a temperature out of control, right? And one of the things that we've done in our work with Rutgers University is we have like a health department style inspection, which we will periodically add questions to as, as the university sanitarian asks us. And some of the questions that we've added to that are, um, are the sanitizer buckets evident? And then is there appropriate level of sanitizer in the buckets? And then we've started doing these uh, person in charge question where you ask the person in charge a food safety question and they need to give you the right answer. And then we do a lot of monitoring of temperatures. And so we say, show me your temperature logs, right? And if they can't, then it's a problem. Um, and then also what we've done, which really does try to make things more risk-based is we collect a ton of temperature measurements. And then I create a mathematically, you know, create a composite score based on those temperatures such that let's say the temperature uh, for proper cold holding is 40 and you have um, a whole bunch of samples that are all at 41. Well, that's going to score differently than um, a situation where you have 50% of your samples at 40 and 50% of your samples at 60, right? And the ones with the half the samples at 60 are going to score way higher than the ones that are at 41 because the risk is different, right? And so I would say right. wherever possible, try to design risk factors or try to design a scoring system that really does scale in terms of risk, right? In other words, maybe there's some things that you're going to treat at some level of deficiency and other things you know are higher risk and then you've got to do your best to figure okay so that is twice as risky three times as risky is it going to count you know two times more three times more and try to to to, to develop a system like that and then i would say iterate on that system um uh, to figure out what uh, what works yeah no I, I, absolutely and i think I, I i think just like discussing the process on how you set the threshold Right. Like, right, right. like, like you're never going to fit 
um, you're never going to pick the, there is no ideal threshold. Uh, but just being clear on, all right, these are the points scoring. This is how we weighted them. This is why we weighted them this way. We our decision making processes, things that are, you know, uh, that look like this cost this much uh, in, in Demera points. And, um, and, and if you, you know, it, it, people can argue with it, but at least you can see it all. And right. that, I, I think that's, in, that's important. Right. That, that idea of transparency. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, so Mac asked a couple other questions yep. as well. Um, what summary data to post online right now, the post inspection reports and composite scores. Uh, but what would the public want? Uh, E.g. Trend, trend lines. And this is a, this is an interesting one. I, again, I, I think it's really hard for us to answer what the public wants. And, and if, in fact, uh, there is some some work on this, and I'll see if I can find um, the paper that I read like 15 or 20 years ago, uh, and it has to do with uh, genetic engineering. I think it was in risk analysis um, about risk communication and asking people if they want information. It was a methodological thing mm-hmm. where if you ask people, do you want more information, everyone says, yes, yes I want more right. information. Um, no one wants less information. So, I mean, to answer that question, it's like, uh, what do people want? Well, they want all of it. Um, what, what would help them make decisions is, is I think a, a better, better question. question. Yeah. And, um, and for me, I, I do think that a history of a, a, a site of a facility, um, helps, uh, someone make a better decision because it, you know, any restaurant can have a bad day. Um, and that bad day can result in illnesses, right? Like that's, it's not like to just uh, sort of push it out and be like, oh yeah, it's, a, it's no big deal. No, those, I mean, the, these things that are risk factors, if you see them, that that's a problem. What I would want, how I would want to make a decision um, is if they have the same risk factors come up over and over again, right. it, it, you know, it comes back to the this whole idea of culture of food safety and not being able to respond. There's something going on. If they always, you know, the last 15 inspections, they've had a handwashing violation. Well, they're really crappy at handwashing. Um, and it's not just a one, a one off. So trend lines, I think is, is, um, is, is an interesting concept, but I would want to see it uh, as, risk factors and 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 that's what i would uh, i i think would be um important for decision making is what you know how are you doing on these risk factors and is it a sustainable a sustained problem yes i would uh, i would i would agree and i would say also uh what i would want not what the public wants but what i would want is uh, uh some way to an API to that data, right? So that I could right. go in and pull down what I wanted. I could pull down structured forms, uh, you know, spreadsheet forms, uh, you know, some some sort of structured way to extract that data. So I could do whatever I wanted with it, right? And maybe I'm a newspaper reporter and I'm working on a story, or maybe I'm a professor and I want to do some analytics, or maybe I'm a restaurant uh, chain and I want to benchmark my my um, my chain against other chains. So uh, I would say you want you want to include as much as possible, and and you want it in a format that people don't have to like scan PDFs and you know do do analysis from there so yeah yeah exactly and that would be what would be really cool is i don't um i I don't know anybody who's doing this uh from a health department standpoint but you know this seems like max got the opportunity to help build something i would want to go in and be like tell me here are the 
you know, I, there's maybe 40 restaurants that I go to. I just want to subscribe to those. Yeah. I want to, I want to get an alert when they had an inspection, um, and had a, you know, a, a violation of these types, right? Like I could Ooh. pick that off. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? That would and be then, really cool. And then that would give me something right there as a decision maker. Well, you know what? This place, I've, I've got this, I got the alert that they had it in the last three times or five times. They've been, there's been multiple things. Maybe I'm going to knock them off my list of 40 restaurants that I go to in, right. in, my, in my location. And, and what I would say also, what I really want to know is I really want to know when there's outbreaks. I, I want to know when yes. there's out, And maybe not even outbreaks, but, well, and I guess you get into some issues here. But I'd like to know if there's allegations of foodborne illness. Um, Investigations. Yeah. Let's not, right. Like there might not be anything there, but you've had to respond to it. Right. But, yeah. And that's that's official stuff like that. That is you. If someone at least that's how it works. Um, yeah. You're here. Yeah, you, um, if you, there's a, you could something you could get through Freedom of Information Act. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in fact, ours are, ours are posted. Um, in uh, in Wake County, I can see all of the. I think it's the last three years worth of inspections, and it says to me at the top of the inspection form, "Is this in response to a complaint?" And and I would say, a, you know, some sort of investigation would be a complaint, or is this just a routine inspection? Right. Um, and so, yeah, that that kind of stuff would I, I think would would help. I also think it would um, help. Help people understand the system better, right? Like, mm. like just the uh, the the um, perception of trust that if the food's being sold, that someone's looking at it or someone you know someone's testing it. I, I saw some tweet about um, I don't know where where this was, and I'll totally paraphrase it, but it was like someone was just so amazed that a hundred percent of our food that's imported in the U.S. Um, is not tested by somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, like, and, and so just by, by, by putting this information out there and giving people more, if they want to see it can help with, oh my gosh, they're only in a restaurant four times a year, or they're only in a restaurant once a year, or they're there once a month, whatever it is in, in the, in the system, just to have that, um, have that information out there that anybody can access might help people, uh, understand the system more. And that causes less hysteria when things go bad. Yeah. So, so just to, to wrap up this, uh, there's two more questions. What about metadata? Uh, what metadata would be good to track, like square footage, and then how to measure good managers? And I would say I didn't really have a good answer on square footage uh, or on metadata. Square footage seems not too interesting to me. Um, yeah. And then what about measuring good managers? And, again, I said, again, similar to what I was saying earlier, uh, asking that person in charge question, like, okay, you're the person that's in charge of food safety. I'm going to quiz you now, and uh, please tell me your answer to this question. And then, and then, if they give the wrong answer, then you train them on the, what the right answer is. But hopefully, that gives you some sense that they understand the food safety principles. Right, right, and well, in the code, um, the 2013 of the code also has the demonstration of knowledge, um, you know, sort of. Uh, requirement, right? And there's lots of ways that someone can meet that requirement. One is that they're a certified food protection manager. One is that they can answer the you know, questions. So, so that that piece, I I don't know how practical it is. Um, if you were to look at all of the inspection reports in this location on that demonstration of knowledge piece, if you were able to, then you you may just be able to parse that out. Um, right, right there. Mm-hmm. There was, 
There was some some uh, Chris, our our friend. Uh, I'm not sure if he's friend of the pod, but my my friend Chris Griffith uh, from uh, formerly um, uh, Cardiff City University, or it used to be the University of City Cardiff Wales. I don't know what it's called now. Um, it has a weird it, name now. It it does. It was UIC, but now it's something else. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, Chris published some stuff, and I'll, hopefully I can find it for show notes here, um, looking at confidence in manager that uh, had been added to the UK inspection forms, where it's not just um, demonstration of knowledge, but but the, the inspector would give a, a, a rating of how confident are you that this manager is managing food safety based on this entire you know, body of an inspection and, and your interactions. So it's it's a little bit subjective, but but there might be something there that Mac can take a look at um, that that says, well, here's how how other locations have done, uh, how have measured good managers. Yeah, yeah, it's that, that it's uh, Cardiff Metropolitan University is the current name. Um, and and David David Lloyd, uh, who's not a friend of the pod, but uh, a cast podcast, um, but is uh, uh, is a friend from IAFP, works there. So he is and David David Lloyd um, is is one of the funniest people I know. He's funnier than both of us. He's we have him on the podcast. Oh my gosh, we should have him on the podcast. He he told me a story that I recount. Every Christmas, and and I've I've it has made me laugh so hard, and it involves, um, <laughs> so so he was I, I'm gonna I think we need to pause to take this to talk talk about this. Uh huh. Um, so he he's in charge at his house of of cooking the 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 turkey for Christmas because in the UK there's no Thanksgiving, so you eat turkey at Christmas, and. Um, he took the the turkey neck one year uh, when his kids were were teenagers, and and he um, he sort of modeled it like it might be um, like, like a penis, and and he walked through his house uh, to his kids as he as it would like stuck out the fly of his of his pants, and and asked them I think there's something wrong with it. Like and just pointed down to this this turkey neck that was hanging out of his pants, and I can't imagine, like it just like I had this this fantastic visual just of him like not not being overly concerned, but then just like pointing like oh I think there's something what's up with this, uh, and just like thinking about how I will do that to my children at some point. Uh, and it will become the greatest uh, practical joke ever. So, David Lloyd, uh, turkey neck. <laughs> as if you see David Lloyd at IAFB, ask him about his turkey, turkey neck. neck. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know if he wanted if he wanted everybody to know that story. Well, now they do. Now they do, and it's awesome. It is the greatest. What's so? What, what's wrong? What, do you think there's something wrong with this? The, with his Welsh Welsh accent. Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, no, I think that I think that's just fine, David. I think it's I think that's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. Yep. Uh, hey, um, I want to talk about Kibe. All right. What do you What do you know What do you know about the Kibe? Well, what so you... so this is a uh, a question from a listener or from yeah I think a, a listener um, uh, on Twitter and so we'll uh, since he put 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 it on Twitter um, I think it's fair game um, I, I tried to link to it and it's really hard to link to stuff on Twitter so I just made a screenshot but so I'm not going to link to it because. 
it's just too hard. But um, but but anyway, we'll we'll uh, we'll link to the 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 story that the listener post pointed us to. And so this is from uh, Dan Sturm, uh, who's uh, Dan Sturm on Twitter. He says, "I need your help. My grandpa ate this a lot. Some families still does. How do they not get violently ill?" And uh, there is a link uh, to Lebanese raw kibbe recipe. And uh, we will, uh, again, um, link to uh, this particular uh, question. Let's see. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Um, we, we will link to the – and this is from a website called uh, Mama's Lebanese Kitchen. And it is the Lebanese raw kibbeh recipe. And – oh, you've got it. Thank you. I just, um, yep, I just tweeted or texted to you. So – and uh, yeah, so uh, uh, basically, uh, this we we'll, we'll link to the to the post. But basically, uh, kibbe naya stands for raw kibbe. Kibbe being the patties made from ground meat. Um, uh, we'll skip to the relevant part. Um, it goes without saying that consumption of raw meat may cause a health hazard, especially for pregnant women. I would also say for young children in this case. I'm not sure why there's a focus on pregnant women more so than other folks. I would say if you're immunocompromised or if you're a small child or a pregnant woman or, or any other immunocompromised condition, you shouldn't eat this for sure. And if you, even if you're healthy, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, uh, so, uh, you take, um, uh, goat meat, uh, typically goat meat. Um, uh, yeah. So if you eat this dish at a restaurant, if you eat this dish out, make sure the restaurant is clean and they know what they're doing. Well, I'm not sure that either of those things are going to help, but okay. Um, as an advice from our mother, try as much as you can to use goat leg meat. Uh, it tastes much better and it's usually cleaner no data provided, than other types of meat. If you must use beef due to unavailability of goat, try as much as possible to get organic and humanely raised beef in order to minimize the chances of contamination. Again, uh, uh, I no data provided. I'm skeptical. Show your work. Yes. Uh, a final advice is to freeze the meat for two weeks in advance in order to age it and to help eliminating any typical raw meat contamination. Well, first of all, no, um, freezing does not eliminate contamination. It hardly even reduces contamination. It depends on freezing rate. It depends on a whole bunch of factors, but you absolutely cannot rely on freezing to eliminate any contamination. Um, let's see. And it just occurred to me, mom must have prepared Kibbe Naya several hundred times in her lifetime, so she got it down pretty well. Well, let's uh, let's hope she didn't eat it um, towards the end of her life, <laughs> I guess, in her last meal, um, <laughs> or, so, or or like a meal like five days before. Before, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, so it, it has a number of ingredients in it. Uh, it's got uh, goat leg meat. It's got bulgur wheat. It's got uh, white onion, uh, green bell pepper, mint, marjoram. Uh, seven spices, cayenne pepper, salt, ground cinnamon, olive oil. None of those, I mean, there may be antimicrobial components, but none of those will do anything to reduce risk. And so, so uh, number one, this is a risky recipe. I absolutely don't recommend it. But to, uh, to Dan's question, like why, why did, why, how could people eat this and not get sick? I would say, um, basically they were lucky, right? I mean, if you so we have a, a paper um, uh, Schaffner and Schaffner 
on uh, hand sanitizers and, and hamburger meat, and I do some calculations in that paper looking at what's the chance that you have um, uh, E. coli in a burger and what, what's the chance it's on the surface and it gets transferred to hands. But you could take the data there, which is based on the most recent USDA FSIS data, or at the time in the most recent USDA FSIS data on prevalence of pathogenic E. coli in ground beef, and you could use that data to basically calculate the probability of illness from eating this. Um, and it's it's not zero, but it's probably pretty low because most beef, face it, let's face it, most ground beef doesn't have a 157H7 in it. And so you could eat a lot of ground beef before you'd get uh, a serving that was positive for 0157H7. But it's the risk is not zero, right? And so you could probably eat this for many, many times in a row. And you could uh, not get sick. Now, I don't know the relative risk of goat versus beef. Um, I'm not sure we have much good data on pathogens. And I would look at E. coli and salmonella. Uh, But I'm not really sure we have good data on goat. I know we don't eat a lot of goat in this country, probably. Um, uh, Certainly, I don't eat uh, goat very often. Um, Now, Lebanese populations might. But I... um, yeah, I would say that my answer is uh, how do they not get violently ill? And I say just wait. It's a matter of time, and they will. Yeah, someone someone will. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a probability uh, game, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and for sure, uh, Dan, uh, don't let your elderly parents or grandparents eat this. Don't let small kil- children eat this. Um, I, I just can't recommend it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so kind of – an interesting uh, piece. I, I've become more uh, familiar with uh, with Kibbe. Um, I've, I'd seen it before, but not raw. Uh, there's a really great Lebanese restaurant that's very close to my uh, to my office, and they they sell they have Kibbe, um, but it's cooked. It's uh, it's a it's a beef croquette, um, uh, essentially. And um, but yeah, so this this came up this idea of raw kibbe came up um in discussions with um uh, on a project that i'm that i'm working on um with uh, rti and, and fsis um that you know there are certain populations that choose to to eat raw meat and they may understand the risk or they may not understand the risk but they are actively like this is it's a different type of product than um, than an undercooked hamburger, right? Like this, uh, e- eating an undercooked hamburger, there's, there's some risk reduction in there probably. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of variation, but this is like active. This is like, um, uh, what were those, uh, uh, sandwiches that they have in Wisconsin? You remember those cannibal sandwiches? Nope. Uh, um, you, uh, there was, uh, where are there was an outbreak a while ago uh, on this, but it's also like um, uh, the uh, what is it? Um, chicken liver pate, which is which is ultimately usually made from um, either raw or lightly seared chicken livers. Okay. Um, and so, but, but there's like the, the thing that's interesting here to me is there is a population that seeks this out. And if you communicated to a population that seeks this out, would it be different the way you talk to them compared to the, the, the group that is just like, Oh, I didn't even know that I was undercooking my hamburger. Right. Um, you know, like they're actively engaging in a riskier behavior. And does that matter? 
yeah at all yeah exactly um so anyway i'll see if i can find this oh yeah uh here we go cannibal sandwiches sicken wisconsin residents 2013 it's an appetizer featuring raw lean ground beef served on cocktail bread it might be a wisconsin tradition but they're not safe health officials say uh there you go noting the more than a dozen people came uh ill after consuming the last holiday season um Four cases this year and 13 likely cases. Uh, yeah, it was in the CDC. Uh, cannibal sandwiches were tied to outbreaks in Wisconsin in 1972, 1978, and 1994. So like the cicadas, they're on uh, some sort of a rotation. Oh, yeah, it's also called tiger meat and steak tartare or or just ground beef. Okay. With a little bit of rye cocktail bread with a sliced onion. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a pass. Thanks. Yeah, it sounds uh, it's not, not my thing, but... But people, uh, people like to like it, they like to eat it. I don't get it. Yeah. Hey, so while we're talking about meat safety, I want to kind of close the books on something that I've talked about uh, before on the podcast but had to be cagey because the report wasn't out. And that was the uh, Meat and Poultry Dialogue Group, which is a project that was um, basically uh, funded by Pew Trusts and by Cargill, um, uh, basically with the consumer side and the industry side coming together without the regulatory agencies present to talk about what could we what did what were the objectives that both the industry and um, the consumer advocates could agree on um, with an eye with an eye towards pushing FSIS um, to be more modern in terms of food safety and that report is finally out um, I think the hopes were that it, we would release it. Um, shortly after the election results and that that we would have something functional in Washington. Um, and that has not panned out, I think. Um, so, the, But the report eventually did come out. I'm not sure what's going to happen because I think we have bigger concerns in Washington than food safety these days. But uh, the report is out and we will link to it. Uh, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And it was, it was, uh, there's been a little bit of uh, email exchange uh, with Carl Custer and some others. I don't know if he copied you on any of that. But, um, yeah, so uh, meat safety, it's good. It's important. There's a surprising amount of commonality between what folks in the industry want and what consumer advocates want. And uh, we'll see if uh, we can uh, prompt FSIS to move forward on on any of this um, these days. So, anyway, just wanted to close the the books on that one. Well, cool. And... Um, you know what's what's always fun is when you see these things and and, and your work gets cited in it. Yes. So, so I had uh, some 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 Chapman stuff in here, which is nice. uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah. No, thanks for um, for sharing that. And I saw this um, last week while I was uh, um, traveling the uh, Western countryside. Uh, and and I so on this. Let me. Um, I just lost it here in my browser. Um, there are some there are some cool stuff in here that I liked in in the Good. recommendations. Yeah, um, and I just want to hit on um, one thing here. Where is it? Had it highlighted? Oh, I like this. The, 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 and this this idea of creating two types of inspectors at slaughter. This, I hadn't 
like seen this mm-hmm. uh, concept before. And so this is recommendation number four, create two types of inspectors at slaughter, both of whom who are focused on food safety and not quality issues. So we're not talking about, you know, grade A meat or anything like that. But there are gatekeeper inspectors whose job is to keep animals unfit for human consumption um, uh, out of the food supply and who need to look at the animals. And then there are um, uh, plan inspectors whose job is to ensure uh, by focusing on carcass and verification system activities that the slaughter facility is operating in a way that reduces contamination. So it's like you have an you've someone who's looking at the animal and someone who's looking at the plant. And and I I, I thought that was um, I like that. I thought you, you know I I, I don't know uh, I don't have a whole lot of experience with um, meat inspection, but I know that you know this is largely a, a you know it's a, a veterinarian um, driven group. Who, who may not be as familiar with how pathogens move once those animals are dead um, or slaughtered. And, yep. and, and I, yeah, I thought that was a, a pretty, uh, pretty cool suggestion. Yeah, and so and one of the big I don't want to say impediments, but one of the factors that has to be considered in any um, move forward to change the regulatory system is the inspectors' union is a, is a strong union, and so mm-hmm. any and and again, uh, Richard Raymond was copied on uh, this this email um, from from Carl, and he said, yeah, there was an, an, an intent to move forward on this, and somebody started spouting off one of the congressman i think started spouting off about how this was going to you know uh, get rid of inspectors and uh, the inspectors union said whoa there buddy uh we're we're not in favor of that and uh so and then that sort of brought the whole thing to uh, to a halt but while while we're talking meat safety and while we're talking carl custer uh-huh. can you explain to me carl i god love him you know he's one of my favorite people um but he is when when Carl writes an email, it's kind of like when Doug writes an email. There's you get from point A to point P D Q R S T, and sometimes there's you can't. I'm not quick enough, Ben. I'm not quick enough to fill in the gaps in the logic. And so clearly, Carl is upset about something. He's upset about the Partnership for Food Safety Education and who, by the way, some of those folks listen to this podcast. Okay. So, but Carl is upset about a thermometer graphic. Yes. And he mentions that Pete complained about this a decade ago. Pete being, of course, Pete Snyder. Um, Can you explain to me clearly and logically, because I know you're both of those things, um, Exactly why Carl is upset about this particular graph. I think I figured I, I, out the graphic, but I, I can't. Yeah, please. Do you know which graphic it is? So it's, 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 it's the, the link. It's the one at the bottom of the message it is. that says safe grilled hamburger question Safe-, mark. Yes. And, and it is um, what, what Carl is upset about. Um, and I, I think we'll be able to somehow post this link. Yes. We, there's a Facebook link that it takes you to. I don't know. We'll find it. But so I'll describe it for the for the listeners. It is a ground beef hamburger patty that is on a grill and it says safe grilled hamburger question mark on top of it. And then there is a dial thermometer stuck in the top of a burger and it's uh, as a modeling the behavior of how to take the temperature. And it says at the bottom is the temp for safe grilled hamburger. Is the temp for safe grilled hamburger? 
Oh, six, 160 is the, is the temp for safe grilled hamburger. Please pass the food thermometer. What Carl's upset about is that, um, and, and what Pete uh, also has talked about and what we um, have looked at with a, a different sort of campaign that I'm going to share with you in a second um, is that you should not, the best best practice is not sticking the thermometer in the top of the burger, but it is to stick it in the side or on some angle so you can push through a larger portion of the burger and look for cold spots where here we um, uh, we, we know from from existing data that you may have ten to fifteen degrees difference in uh, a ground beef hamburger patty at four or five different points uh, within there. So if you stick it from the top, you're only going to hit a small little amount and you may register that, um, that the things are great, but you're only getting a very small sample. So you'll get a larger, uh, more accurate uh, measurement of the temperature. If you push it from the side uh, and also you going from the top, you risk sticking it all the way through and having a, you know, 400 degree cooked burger register if it hits the, the grill itself. Well, and looking at this graphic and knowing what I do know about these dial thermometers, it oh. sure looks to me like the tip of that dial thermometer is, is down below the surface yeah. of the grill, right? And yes. there's, and we'll, I found a page that has all of these graphics in, in English and in Spanish, also for chicken uh, and pork chops. And the pork chop one, it looks like they have stuck it all the way through, and it looks to me like it's intersecting the bone of the pork chop, which is also, which is also sticking out the side of the pork chop, which is also not a best practice because the bone conducts heat and it can get hot. And so, all right, I do, I do get now the the concern. But uh, on the other hand, we do need a simple graph. And I, I like kind of the point is that it's a nice simple graphic. It's got the temperature on it, and and that's the main point. But but in terms of technique, I, I totally get why it's why it's not good. Yeah, and, and so. I don't know if this is also part of it, but I just wish we would stop showing people dial thermometers. Tip sensitive digital. Thank you very much. Yeah, like, and and I know I and I know the partnership uses it, and I know um, FSIS also has um, in their safe food safe handling instructions a um, a dial thermometer. But we we just have so much better equipment now that it, we just shouldn't. I mean, I, I just think well, they're. I, I'm more. Like I'm more aggressive on this than I was even five years ago. I just don't think we should use them. And and here's the thing, Ben. We know that most people are not going to use a thermometer anyway. So why not tell them to use the right kind? Right, right. <laughs> not to be too Debbie Downer here, but uh, you know, just like take, show them the the, the proper tools. Because because you know what, the nerds of the world, the the Merlin man, let me sous vide this for you. Uh, nerds yeah. of the world, they want to know about the best tools. Let's start there rather than try to bring the bottom up let's let's leave from the top down let's let's take the let's take the give the the nerds the best tools and then and hopefully it'll permeate into the culture yeah absolutely and um the other the other piece on that is uh, just like let's uh sorry sorry i lost my uh, train of thought on on this uh, it, it is more about giving people the best stuff like let's just yeah just give them the right thermometer yep absolutely <laughs> uh, um so okay so what what was i wanted to say one more oh i wanted to send you something okay but you're you're not you're gonna have to look at this okay so how are you gonna um, send it to me 
I'm going to send it to you on, on, your, on, your, on your text. Okay. It's an, not a, an owl is not going to fly through my window in a minute. No, this isn't okay. – or, or a – it's not a um, passenger – no, it's a, a passenger pigeon. It's a, what They're extinct. <laughs> and oh. the owls from Harry Potter are not real. Not real. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Okay. So so as part of this – Nice. Uh, I like yeah. this. So okay. this is gorgeous. This is a beautiful website. Aww. It's it's it, I I really like this. So we so we made this. Oh, Ben! Uh, look at you, so, you nerd! You, well, you, so, you hip nerd. I, I, it is very much a we on this. Um, and uh, the story of this website and this campaign uh, was shared at the uh, Shigatoxin and producing Shigatoxin producing E. coli Steck cap grant annual meeting last week in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, by John Lachansky. And so the, the start of this, um, was John was driving somewhere and saw a billboard with a food safety message on it. And he said, you know what? We need a billboard that says there's E. coli in beef and here's how you manage it or whatever. Um, and that took him down a path of, um, working with a local high school in Souderton, Pennsylvania, uh, on a, a group of students there who are interested in marketing, uh, they um, the the Stat Cap Grant was their client, so they came up with some ideas on you know marketing campaigns, and then um, John uh, brought and it was John and Anna Portafed. And uh, Jill uh, Hookstein, who um, is the project coordinator for the StatCat grant, they brought me in and said, look, we've, we've done this thing where we asked this marketing group to come up with some messages. Could you sit in on their final presentations and give feedback from a risk communication standpoint? So I, the, about, um, about a year ago now, it was last May, I flew up to uh, Pennsylvania and, and sat and watched these things. And it was really cool to, to hear these students talk about it. Um, and, and at the end of that meeting, um, John and, Anna and, and Jill and I sat around and said, you know, it would be great if we like, this is a good concept. Maybe we actually could create a marketing campaign for food safety. And, and, you know, the ad council has done some of this stuff and the partnership for food safety education has done it, but where we kind of differed was, okay, let's focus just on burgers. Let's focus on, on E. coli. Uh, pathogenic E. coli in burgers, and um, let's um, go from start to finish on how would you build a, a marketing campaign and, and working. So we put out a bid. We had some money that came from the executive management team of the of the grant. Um, looked for a advertising firm to build an advertising marketing campaign. Um, and anyway, this for those who. Um, who don't know, I don't think I've mentioned it, but if you go to 160isgood.com, you'll see the outputs of this. Yeah, and we'll, we'll link to this in show notes. This is a great website. Cool. I mean, um, really, really, really simple and beautiful, and I bet it also looks awesome on my mobile phone. So, yeah. It does. Um, and we did something a little different uh, that, have, that I don't think has been done before in the food safety world where in, instead of just, like, making this campaign – and then doing some market research sort of afterwards on well what were the what was the penetration of it we did a market survey before of awareness of messages and this campaign's running in in one 
little town or mid-sized town, Fayetteville, North Carolina, from Memorial Day through um, uh, Labor Day. And going alongside this fact sheet or this uh, website is a video that if you scroll to the bottom, mm-hmm. uh, it is, it's a, a video that is running pre-roll on YouTube videos and at uh, before um, like in movie trailers. Oh like, wow! Yeah, on on movie screens at like thirty screens before um, movies that are likely to have primary meal preparers in them, which is fascinating. Nice, nice. is that yes. like yes? It's amazing that you can do that. And the YouTube videos are the same thing. It's like um, working with the marketing team, marketing firm. They're like, oh yeah, we can really target this stuff. It's also there's an audio clip that is running on Pandora, and also on. Um, your local radio stations. And so just to give you a sense of magnitude. So there's, um, it's about, I think it's 250,000, uh, people that live in, in Fayetteville and the media buy portion of this, um, uh, of this project. I'll go, let me find an email here. We anticipate um, that there will be 8.3 million impressions in Fayetteville, which is a 73% uh, reach in the market. The radio spots, um, oh, sorry, a, a single listener is likely to hear the spots 33 times through the course of the 16-week campaign Jeez. if they live in that area. Yeah. Um, theater, uh, we don't know exactly how many people will fill the theaters until the campaign's complete, but we do know that the, the animated spot is playing on... Um, 15 plus 29, uh, 46 different screens, uh, all of the theaters in Fayetteville. And then the animated digital pre-roll that there'll be about 2.2 million impressions online. So, so this has been a really cool project to be part of because we, we've been able to put this budget behind us, test it and have, um, there was a, um, uh, a 300 person random sample uh, phone survey before the campaign started, and then we'll do a follow up afterwards. Um, and it's just like if something like this doesn't work, like if we can't move the needle, then either the approach is terrible, which I don't know if it's terrible or not, um, or or nothing will work. <laughs> like, right. Well, I th- yeah, exactly. That's what I would say. Is that is forget it. We just might as well just hang it up and, and do something else. Yeah. So it's been really cool to be part of this. Um, and and so you you might know what got me thinking about this is you might know the conversations that we had. And this is like this took way more work than I thought it was going to <laughs> uh-huh. like way, way more work. Like, Don, if you look at the burger at the top left, the logo for 160 is good. Do you know? Like, do you see the angle that the thermometer is stuck on? Yes, I do. I, that's the first thing I noticed. That's how you take a temperature. Also, Ben, I don't know if you noticed it, but that's a digital thermometer. It is a digital thermometer. Can I tell you that the marketing people really didn't want to do that? Sure. This this was a really interesting conversation, yep. multiple conversations about, like, people won't care. And, and our group saying, we... We, we we don't know if people won't care. You guys tell us you're the experts on that, but we can't show up in our community and give a message that's not science-based or not based on the best practices. Like exactly. like we know this is the best way to do it. So make it make it work. God damn it. Right. Right. Yes. I mean that yes. I you just it, 
I mean, that, that's and and you need to pick your battles, right? Yes. Um, and that's one that you're that's a hill you're going to die on, right? That's that's an important battle to uh, to win because you know that's the best way to do it. This is not a feeling you have, right? This yeah. is not a, a sense a sensitivity you have. This is like this is the right way, and we need to do it this way. And so, yeah. And and, and it's not about. Um, what what will sell with, with with the you know what's what makes the most marketing sense right sometimes right right and that exactly but, but sometimes you have to give up and be like well sure. that does make the most marketing sense um, so the other thing I want to highlight here is um, the partnership and in uh, in the fight back messages they have cook chill clean and separate and we. Um, there's been there's so there's some literature out there on people misunderstanding separate yep um and so we just said let's just call it don't cross contaminate right so we talk about cross contamination and and christine brune who um we've talked about on the podcast and and really um really put i think consumer food safety behavior work and and messaging and education on the map. I mean, mm. she's she's been doing this work longer than than anybody, and has really um, I think shaped this. She's in she's also part of that project, and was in the um, in the audience. And she was like, I just want to like say that this is what you know. Tell me why you you said don't cross contaminate, and and thank you for not saying separate. Right, right? like right. The, um, and and so she also. Um, gave a, a cool props to the group on saying, you know, I, I, she'd been doing this for, for a long time and said, I've never thought to go work with the marketers on it. Like, yeah. like really great job doing that. So, so we'll see if it works and there'll be, uh, you know, there, there won't be a press release before publication, but there will be a publication, <laughs> uh, and you know, something will come out, uh, uh, next year sometime once we, once we have the, the data. Um, I do want to highlight something. I, I know I've monopolized this whole conversation, um, but, but totally I'm legitimately, yeah, and I like this. I'm I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, uh, I want to I want to tell you something from the pre research. Um, so this was the the phone survey that that happened um, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and. Uh, I, I I got you know they they shared all this this great data with me and I started going through um, what we what we found or what you know what people report self reported to them and let me pull up my data here. Um, okay, so there are 305 respondents and there's some limitations here, but of those 305 respondents, 64% never use a thermometer on ground beef patties. So. That's a lot of people not doing it. Mm-hmm. But what I thought was really kind of interesting is we looked at um, ethnicity breakdown. So it's of those part of those respondents, sixty nine percent of white respondents, fifty one percent of African American respondents, and eighty three percent of Hispanic respondents didn't use a thermometer. Wow. So the, it says to me, even uh, like even as we look at what we did without having that market research beforehand maybe we need four you know three different or or multiple different um campaigns that are targeting different ethnicities because it's the there's already a different level of adoption right Right. like right why why is it you know we're not all the same right (laughs) right and all the messages aren't going to work the same across everything so um and and of the 19% of the respondents who did use a thermometer self reported cooking below 160 degrees yep 
So anyway, uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see where it goes, and hopefully, I'll have something cool to report later on. But do check out do check out the video because uh, there's some good stuff, and you'll know there's an homage to you in here. Oh my! In the video, the video. Um, I'm gonna see if I can. Uh, I'll play this. Uh, yeah, I've I've, d- I've d- d- decided to there's... not. I w- didn't want to click the video because I didn't want to be distracted. Oh. So yeah. Well, it uh, there's there's a comment about um, there, there's a five second rule. <sighs> nice. Yeah. Where it's where it says something like it's you know it's not safe to eat food off the floor even if it's only been there four and a half seconds. Well, you know, so, so hopefully so you'll you'll that, understand that. that yeah. Thank you. I will I will watch for that, and the listeners should too. So, um, just before uh, before we wrap things up here, um, you talked about publication before press release. Um, you talked about the five second rule. Uh, I think on the last podcast we talked about the the um uh, water temperature work that i did and the the press has been moving forward with that but i but i have to say i have to so number one i have to totally call out uh brett weed uh on uh, who is a tar heel fan on twitter um who says uh you have reached the pinnacle of success uh and then he says uh by the way uh and he sends a link which we'll talk about in a minute um, and he says, uh, does this earn me a mention on food safety talk? And the answer is Brett. Yes, this is your mention. Um, uh, he says, a uh, uh, bucket list and all that. So you can cross this <laughs> one off your bucket list, Brett. Um, and what, what he has provided is amazing. What he's provided is, um, a link, uh, to the onion and the, the title of the, uh, onion post, uh, which I, I'm fairly certain would have to be in response to our research. Um, yes. Uh, this, uh, the headline reads, study colon, hot water not better for washing hands. Uh, researchers studying the effects of water temperature on hand washing have found that hot water is no better at killing bacteria than cold water. What do you think? Of course, uh, numerous people, I've got an email in my inbox from a reporter uh, making the same statement about killing. Let me definitively say once again, washing your hands does not kill bacteria. It removes them. Uh, if you're using hand sanitizer, that was killing bacteria. If you're using antimicrobial soap, that might be killing some bacteria, but mostly the effect of soap is to remove bacteria from your hands. But I have to read um, the very humorous responses from what I have got to assume are fictitious people on The Onion. Um, Ashley Marks, who's a horse <laughs> euthanizer, says, that's nice, but I already have an opposing belief that hot water does work better. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, Ashley. Well done. Um, Jared Lynch, who's a Baskin Robbins cashier, says, who am I going to trust, scientists or the Baskin Robbins employee orientation video? So that is – the folks at The Onion are just brilliant. So well done, Onion. And then finally, uh, Scott Patton, uh, Curriculum Sensor, says, hold on, doing what with your hands? <laughs> so, and uh, Scott looks a little uh, little shady there. Um, so – Oh my so, gosh, so mo- mostly, mostly thanks to Brett Weed, uh, super fan, uh, bucket list uh, checking off uh, dude uh, uh, and listener of the podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Brett. And thanks to the lovely, entertaining folks at The Onion who, uh, who managed to promote my research without really promoting my research, but, but ended up uh, doing a great job. So, so thanks, to, thanks to everybody. So, so awesome. And uh, there was so, – I, I don't know if you saw it on the Facebook uh, page of The Onion. Um, but there, there are multiple comments. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. In fact, someone, uh, Chris Wren, who I don't think is the guy from the, uh, who's just nominated for, uh, FBI director, but it might be, um, says, 
the whole idea of killing bacteria is a bizarre obsession with the post-war communist generation. <laughs> you wash your hands to get rid of dirt and oils and other contaminants, and hot water is better for this. <laughs> I guess it's worth mentioning the bacterial population in your skin actually doubles after a hot shower. Well, there you go, Chris. Okay. Thanks. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for that. I'm not sure that there's a science base to that, but okay. Yep. Uh, the jokes on them. I stopped washing my hands years ago. Now I microwave them to kill bacteria. <laughs> <laughs> now that's funny. Uh, so good. Um, uh, I just run some water over my hands and dry them off with my hair. Um, so so good. Anyway, go read the comments. Uh, and. In fact, this harkens back to something that I've used in the past, uh, and I will end on this comment. Um, Sebastian Elegante Neely says, I just set my hands on fire to really ensure sterilization. (laughs) Well, I tell you, if you put on some hands, don't don't do this at home, kids, but if you put hand sanitizer on your hands and then then light them, uh, that might give you added added bang for your buck, and it might also end up you up in the hospital. So, So please don't do that. Yeah, exactly. So, hey, uh, I don't know. I think that's a show. I think I think that's a show. So there you go. Uh, the uh, food safety talk. We're back back in business um, after taking uh, a really uh, long scheduled uh, two week break, like we do every two weeks. Yes. <laughs> so we'll be back. We're gonna, you know, Don. I think we should take a break. Uh, let's. Should is we this, come back in two weeks? Is this is this the last podcast until next week? Until the next, until the next, until the next time. Yeah, Sounds good. Time. We're on right, hiatus, folks. Yeah, enjoy, enjoy your summer, uh, summer solstice, uh, and and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye bye. <laughs> bye bye. go uh i wish it was easier to find and link to stuff on facebook no it doesn't it really doesn't work i mean so the problem is like i I found the onion page and they post stuff like all the time and then of course the web page only loads down to a certain level and so i'm sure this hand washing thing was from a long time ago and yeah it was from the six yeah yeah, there's no way to drill down and find it well i just say i think i just said yeah i sent you the link but i don't know I think this is the right, like, yeah, but, but then it also has a bunch of stuff under, under, uh, underneath. Also the, the woman who is in your post on, uh, is, is on another post with a different name. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is hilarious. Yeah. So obviously these are, these are fake people. I mean, they're probably yeah. onion employees that, that they're making up fake names for. So, yeah. Uh, this is about the online, uh, uh, whole foods being bought by Amazon. Uh, now it's Laura Bro saying, good, I'm sick of giving money to more than one thing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
I, I I follow the onion. I didn't see this, and I think it's fa- I think it's amazing that you. I mean, you really have made the big time. Indeed. Um. So big t- good stuff. All right. So you know what, Don Ben. Do you know two and a half weeks from now, we are going to be in uh, IAFP? I think it's time for our annual uh, in-person recording. I think you're right. So I think should we should we save for that because we'll be two weeks from today is the fourth, right? Uh, and then we, I mean, we could record the fourth or the fifth or the sixth. Um, but we're going to record like the eleventh or something, right? Well, I'm 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 happy to do another one in two weeks and then and then do one at IAFP as well. Um, okay, the IAFP one is more work for you just because you know I, mean, I can I can I bring a microphone, but I don't remember anyway. I'm happy. Tell me what I need to do, but you're you're sort of in charge of that one. Um, I am, but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm happy to do something on on Fourth of July or or thereabouts. Probably not on the fourth. I think okay. I'm gonna yeah, um, but maybe the fifth or the sixth. Sure, I could do um, uh, fifth. Oh, so speaking of that, so the fifth is good for me. The okay. sixth, I'm actually gonna be on the Food Safety Magazine podcast. Oh, yeah, right, so right. They, they invited me on, so which is cool. So you're going to be pod, podcast cheating again? Yes. Well, we have, not really. I mean, friend of their pod. Yeah, it's it's okay. I, I don't know if they listen. There, it's it's good. It's good that there's more than one food safety podcast. Yeah. That's it is. You know, it is. So it's That's, nice. I, I'm, I still haven't listened to it. I'm going that that it's, is. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it. You you should listen to it, and then you can tell me all about it when we record on the fifth. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay, I will do that. I will. I will. I, I, I will diplomatically that. listen and nod as, yes. you, as you tell me your reaction. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's the. I'm sure this. I'm sure the show that you and I do, Ben, is not the right food safety podcast for some people. Yeah, there's and for those another, people, yeah. there's another podcast that they could listen to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and but that's good. Oh, sorry, I'm yawning, Don. I, it's because I played hockey last night. We won our game. Oh, congratulations! Uh, it was awesome. We uh, we were down, came back in the third period and won. I was so happy. Um, but uh, but I'm a little tired. Uh, so okay, what I've I, I got distracted by Facebook. So we are looking at a time on yeah. this on two, the fifth two two p.m. 2 p.m. on the 5th will be will be ideal. Yeah. FST number 129. Sure. 129, 130, whatever it takes. 30, whatever it takes. Um, and you have this one. I do. And then i will be great because we'll record. And you know what? We can, we'll have one hit. Like on the sixth or seventh, that people can listen to as they're traveling. There you go. The, this is going to be our super special uh, IAFP preview show. Right. That's where the one where we we download the program and we go yes. through it very carefully and we plan out everything that we're going to do. And we post our uh, like like the brackets when people post those online during March Madness for the for the basketball. <laughs> yes, we will. Uh, we will have our IAFP special brackets where we've circled the talk winners uh, that we've picked beforehand, and that we'll score when we actually go watch them talk. <laughs> <laughs> 
because <laughs> there will there will be winners, there will be losers, because 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 our president <laughs> mandates it. <laughs> Linda Harris mandates that. That doesn't seem right. Ah! She's much nicer than that. No, she doesn't. Where's she, my that, bell? Where's my bell? I got no bell. Oh, you, there you go. There you go. Uh, yep. Happy Father's Day to the losers, even the losers. <laughs> oh, what uh, a jerk. <laughs> Gosh, I you know I wish that IAFP South America was in Panama, so we could see that canal. Panama, oh, that's a, something else. Yeah, that's a is that a Van Halen song? That's a Van Halen song. We'll we'll link to that. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a big fan of Van Halen. I like that song though. I like uh, right now. Right now. You know that one? I do not. That w- has a really good video. Hmm. Oh, you know, um, you know what else is a really good video? Um, uh, I posted about this. Um, oh, the Taylor Swift one? Yes. Yeah, it was great. That was really cool. We will link to that. We will link to that as well. Yeah. T-Swizzle. Taylor Swift cover. Do you remember what the guy's name was? Um, no, just look at your Facebook page to find it. <laughs> I don't want to go on Facebook. I don't want to look at Facebook. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Here we go. Bookmarks in history. Alex Boyer, cover of Taylor Swift. Shake. I had to listen yes. to this like five times this morning. It was so good. Yeah, it was good. It was uh, It was good, good, good. Oh, where was it? Oh, there it is. It was like somehow this algorithm with uh, Facebook, like sometimes things you post later show up earlier. Maybe it's because people are commenting. I don't know. I can't figure out their algorithm. It's, it's yeah. yeah. It was good. Um Cool. Okay, so you have this one because I did the last one. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Okay, good. Yeah, I did it. So I had this will be fascinating news for everyone. So so you know I have I have two two computers, right? Yeah. I have them. Oh, right. And and you have the one that you put the podcast on yes. that you left at your house when you went on this long trip. My MacBook Air. Yes. And I will continue to use my MacBook Air until there is a chipset for uh, Thunderbolt for my Thunderbolt oh, monitors yes. in a in a MacBook, yes. which I think there will be eventually, but yes. there isn't right now. Yeah. So I still have to because I like my monitors and and I can't get a a dongle dingus for it. Um. A- anyway, so I record podcasts always on the MacBook Air and I edit them always on the MacBook Air. So I left the MacBook Air at home because I don't travel with it and left the podcast and then you had to upload the files. But the more interesting part is that GarageBand, there's like nine different versions of GarageBand. Oh, yes. And the one that we edit in is like one you have to – like I had to – Old yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I had to show oh, up Oh, right. App, because so. – right, right, right. Because you didn't have the old one. Yeah. No. I didn't have my own. Like my, so anyway, I figured it, it was – it worked out fine. Uh, I got it all uh, edited and figured out. Um, but I had forgotten that there was this whole other piece um, that was that was needed, and it and it worked, and it, I listened to it, and it sounded fine. So how did you uh, how did you f- get the old version of uh, GarageBand? Well, you can get it from the, not the App Store, but the Apple website. Oh, okay. Yeah, like in the you know whatever Genius Bar online, whatever it's called, um, and then but there's multiple old ones. And I had to pick the right one that still had podcasting in it. And then I went back into right. all the settings that we had. So Dropbox worked. Dropbox <laughs> saved, saved the day. Awesome. Yeah. 
because uh, not only did you, were you able to get me the files, but I also had all the rules that we have uh, and settings yes. on do stuff. So yeah, it all it all worked out great. Um, I have you. So I have a I have a technical podcast engine question for sure. you. Have you noticed that when editing a podcast with your AirPods? That it doesn't give you like like AirPods and GarageBand don't always work, and it gives you like a really crazy robot chirping sound that huh. hurts your ears. Have you had that? I, so here's the thing: if I'm editing a podcast, I am likely doing it um, on my MacBook, and I am probably listening with my podcasting setup or with my wired earpods i i so i love my airpods um i mostly use them for listening to podcasts um on my on my phone i will do the pre-listen to the show on on the phone when i'm like reading like listening for titles um and then i'll use them for phone calls but i don't i don't i mean i i have paired them in the past with my macbook but i don't routinely i just don't i just i just don't do that um yeah but, but it sounds like if i did i would have chirping yeah, it so funny. It chirps on my MacBook Air, but when I did it on my MacBook with the new downloaded, like what I was doing in the hotel room, it worked just fine. Hmm. So I don't. Yeah, I didn't know if it was like some uh, something, but yeah, for what don't don't be alarmed if you get weird chirping. Okay. <laughs> I wish that could be our title, but it's in the in the, <laughs> it's after, in the dark. after dark. Um. Uh, that's it. I think that's it. I'm gonna go. Right. I'm gonna go home. All right. Uh, you. I'm already home. I'm uh, gonna go. I'm home. gonna go walk the dog, and I'm gonna listen to this podcast, and I'm gonna send you show titles, and uh, we'll get this one up and posted soon. Perfect. Uh, thanks, Don. Enjoy your your day, and we will talk in uh, in a couple of weeks after our hiatus. All right. And I, I have, by the way, you've probably already saw this, but I have already emailed uh, David Tharp and requested yes. a room. Um, if anybody is listening to this still at the end of this and you would like to be a guest at the IAFP uh, show, um, we have a limited number of spots. Well, and so let me say, and I'll, I'll speak for the both of us and, and Ben, you can tell me if I'm out of line. Um, uh, number one, if you would like to come and be in the audience, Yes. As long as you're quiet, you can do that, assuming that there's a seat because I've asked David for a small room. Um, and then if you want to be on the show, um, you can do that too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, and, but, uh, but again, uh, no guarantees. It, right, right. And, and we've had um, – uh, our audience has grown. Uh, we, and I, I may put a special, uh, special call out to um, uh, Deep, Deep Freeze. Deep, Dr. So, Dr. Deep Freeze? Dr. Deep Freeze, because uh, I know she, she would like to she, – she mentioned she'd like to be back on. Um, oh, I want to talk with her about Listeria. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, we've had – and then last year we had, we had two listeners, uh, Brian Souders, and Brian Souders um, uh, introduced us to another listener who I, I can't remember what her name was. Um, but they – we even uh, – they, they were, basically became part of the show. Yes. They, they, without they, I don't even think they were wanting to, uh, but yeah. So they were in the audience, but became part of the show, kind of like a a love it or leave it show. I think we'll have kind of, uh, kind of. We'll qu- questions, and then maybe should we give away a parachute gift certificate? <laughs> well, we could we give away fake gift certificates. We should have a rant wheel. That's what we oh need. My gosh. We need a rant wheel, and we oh. need an okay stop. We do need a rant wheel. Yes. 
All right. That is on my list. And I think we can make a virtual rant wheel. I'm sure we can make a virtual rant wheel. Yes. Uh, okay. Rant wheel is happening. We're going to steal all the best bits. Because <laughs> it is – I love it or leave it has is, is really grown on me. And it's because because um, John Favreau has gone away on his honeymoon and I have no – pod save america podcast to listen to that i listened to like four old episodes of love it or leave it yesterday and and i'm i i I am increasingly liking it yeah it's uh it it, it's it's a little rough i it it took me a while to kind of it took them a while first of all to find their rhythm yeah like like, uh, for example um okay stop was originally called uh play pause or something yeah yeah yeah. on the first time they tried it everybody just kept saying okay stop so that was really good that they decided to rename the the show for what people were actually saying and if you don't know what we're talking about we're talking about um a a podcast from the crooked media folks um starring uh, john lovett who's 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 quite hilarious um it's a weekly show recorded in front of a live audience it's mostly it's media people but also maybe comedians um and it's um it's 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 pretty it's pretty hilarious um and it's worth checking out it it's 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 grown on me it it's in my uh, it's in my um it's in my my top level feed right now so oh good good yeah it's uh i i think john lovett is the most hilarious political person out there he he is fascinating with his comments but is also super super funny um so yeah Oh, oh! There's a pod, new Pots of America for my ride home. Nice, good stuff. All right, Don. Uh, enjoy your the rest of your day, and you I'll, too. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye bye, bye bye.